I'm Terry Simmons, and you're listening to KTBS 3's Doc Talk. This is the place to be to hear informative, forward-thinking, solution-based discussions about what contributes to our mental health and overall well-being. And you can download a new episode every other Wednesday morning wherever you listen to podcasts. With us today is Dr. Julie Broadwell, a breast care specialist right here in Shreveport. And Dr. Broadwell, you are committed to the latest treatments and all the information for women's health, and we're going to talk about breast health today in particular. So um, let's start first with just overall what we need to think about. We're going to bust some myths. We're going to um, really answer the questions that a lot of women have in their minds. So what would you first tell someone who just wants to know about breast health in general? Sure. I, I would say being having a good sense of what's normal for you is very helpful. And, and just knowing where you are and, and what is, is a typical uh, physical exam, what is just a typical feeling of your body, your family history is very important. And so having those conversations, the holidays are coming up, it's a great time to, to gather from some of the, the generations that maybe didn't talk about these things as much, but really get some detailed family history can be very helpful in deciding how we should screen people, how we should treat people when they need special testing. All of that's very important. Really important. And you brought up a really good thing about talking about it. And especially if you have generations before that just didn't talk about that. And don't you think there's a lot of different reasons that our grandmothers, our mothers, or even our sisters don't talk about it. One being they don't want to face it. They don't want to know. Is that one of the things you find? Absolutely. Denial is real. (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) As you know, people joke, it's not just a river in Egypt. I mean, it is, it is real. And, and, and then it was, it was a different culture. You know, things were private. Things were, we didn't have social media. We didn't have our, our daily life as out there as it, as it is now. And, and I think that promoted a lot of just lack of information shared with, with next generations. That's a really good point. Do you think maybe it's softened a little bit and it's easier to talk about even when our, our, our moms and grandparents are seeing it out there in social media, maybe it's helping? I feel like it feels more appropriate yes. to talk about. It's not, it's not a, a, a secret that we can't, we can't talk about these things. I, I, I feel like maybe people are, feel that it's, it's more appropriate to talk about. And are you finding that with your younger patients? Are they absolutely. more outspoken with oh, you? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. I mean, it's, it's a, here, are you ready for me to show you? I'm like, oh, okay, we'll get to that. <laughs> right here, touch this. I know. And yeah. that, isn't that wonderful? That yeah, that's great. Right no, it's great. And they know their bodies and they know what's different. And that, that's really helpful. Because isn't that really what it's about? Know your own body. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of things, anything in the body, but really we're taught with breasts anyway, to just, you're supposed to notice change. There's nothing right or wrong. Absolutely. Nothing normal. Absolutely. Just no. Know They're your body. They're all bumpy, <laughs> oh, yeah. difficult they change throughout the month I mean it's very difficult to do breast exams and and so just knowing what's typical what's normal for you and knowing when no this is different and this has been different things that come and go aren't aren't typically anything to worry about but but something that comes and persists and it's been there for a few weeks well that's something that I'd want to know about yeah and you think it's good to ask anyway even if you're what you Absolutely. don't look like a worrier you don't look like you're running who cares if you run for every little thing if it's different and it's on your mind, ask about it. Always. I tell my patients I'd rather see them every week if they're worried about something than 
them not tell me and us miss something that we could do something about. Yes, and I think more people need to hear that, which is one of the things I like about Doc Talk. We just get really just right in there and really bust the myths, give permission, sure. and, and let everybody know they're not alone. And so it's really good. Just if you feel something different, ask about it. Absolutely. And and do you like? And a lot of times someone will feel something different and they'll definitely go online. They'll go and figure it out. What is this? What does it look like? What does it feel like? I mean, they've got one hand on their body and they're typing sure. it with the other one, and I think this is it. And I've sure. got that. Um, sure. So do you, is that okay? And what do you say? Like, it's okay. They so, do that, but bring it to you. Bring it to me or look at your source. Yeah. Uh, there, was, there was a really cool study that was done and it compared, uh, they put in the symptoms to Google and they compared it to residents. So doctors who were MDs, but are still training. And, and it showed how correct Google was compared to the residents. And if it gave them three choices, Google was right 50% of the time and the residents were right like 95% of the time. If it gave them one choice, Google was only correct 37% of the time. So look at your sources. Use validated good health sources. Mayo Clinic, breast360.org is a great one for breast health. Um, you know, so, something not just anyone can type anything on the internet. Right. So, so just look at your source. <laughs> yes. And I love what you say about too, because it's like, you're never, you're not saying don't do it. It's oh, like, sure, here's, what, here's what you're looking at. Here's what you're going to find and be more specific that there are things just because it's online you know, some as general as Google, there are specific sites to go that might give you a little bit more educated. Exactly. Yeah. But still bring it to the doctor still because do it, it has to be correlated with physical findings and lab tests and, and x-rays and things like that. So yeah. still bring it to the doctor. I think that's what we really try to stress. We do that with Healthline 3. We do this with Doc yes. Talk and everyone we talk to. It's like, it's fine, but don't stop there. Exactly. And, and come in. Don't be ashamed to come in with it printed out and whatever. Look, Absolutely. I found all this. <laughs> Tell me what's right. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, yeah. that's, that's not a problem. And, and it helps to see where they're getting it from what what it's actually saying because sometimes it's just a minor translational you know talk is a, almost a whole different language and and sometimes it's just a translation thing of well they said this but what it meant was mm -hmm. was this and it's actually a good idea right is it do doctors like if you come in with a written list you come in with as much information as possible I think it helps remind people of what they want to talk about. It, you get good put point. on the spot and, and you forget. So it does help to jot down at least notes about questions that you have, you know, as you're leading up to that appointment, keep a little pad or something like that. So when questions come up, you can at least jot it down so that you don't go visit with your doctor and then go home and think, oh, I just wish I would have asked them this one other thing. Yes, I which happens helps. so often. Mm -hmm. I've always heard that too. And if you do get home, is it okay to call back Absolutely. and say, listen, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's really involved. I'm probably going to want you to come back in for us to have another face-to-face. -face. If it's quick and easy and simple, that, that's certainly something that's right. easy to take care of. And the point is that there's no silly questions. Never. There's no, nothing that you're taking up too much time. No. no. Just come in. That's I, what you're there for. I frequently tell my patients it took me 12 years of education to get here and then another 11 years of practice. And so there is not a silly question. <laughs> it took a really, really long time for me to get the answers. <laughs> And do you find you're still learning too from the Absolutely. questions people bring in? Well, sometimes bringing, from you know? the questions and the yeah. new technology and our treatments well, have sure. changed. And I mean, it's just a constantly dynamic changing field and it's it, that makes it fun and interesting and, and yeah. fun to come to work. How much have you seen, like in breast health in particular, how much have you seen it change over the years since you started? In surgery, not quite as much as in some of our adjuvant treatments like chemotherapy and some of our screening tools. And genetic testing is another I was gonna ask you about hugely that. Changing, changing field. Yeah. Those have changed dramatically. They really have. Yes. And the actions people are taking. Absolutely. Because of what they're finding out with genetics. Let's give us, a, give us some examples of that. Well, so, you know, 
Prior to 2012, we tested for two genes, BRCA1 and 2, and we used a kind of who, who would be most likely to have these genes, kind of a red flag type, type checklist to decide who to test. And that was partially because testing was very expensive, not very many people have those genes, and, and so you have to figure out how to, to do the testing appropriately. Well, testing has gotten more affordable, uh, which helps a lot. And we have many more genes now. Some of the panels have 37 genes on them, 84 genes on them. Now, we don't have a tremendous amount of information on, on some of those genes, but we're gathering it. And so I think the more testing, and so the current recommendations from the American Society of Breast Surgeons is anyone who is diagnosed with breast cancer be tested. And that's different from those formal red former red flags. And when you start there and you really branch out into the families, we know about 10% of the population walking around has a genetic mutation. 90% doesn't. So, mm -hmm. so you know, most people still don't, but yeah. that's still people we want to catch and, and that information is important. And ideally we catch it before someone's diagnosed with breast cancer. So how do I know? Is this if it's in my family or it's general? If I haven't had so, any of it in my family, I just kind of want to know. Is so that enough? Insurance, so for me, yes, I'll, I'll test you. I, I don't mind because I think information is power and, and I know that there's, we call them low penetrance genes, meaning it can be passed from the family, but you may not see the cancer effects of the genetic mutation in the family. Um, and so we know those exist and we'll pick up a few of those. Insurance, on the other hand, may not pay for it, That's so it might be something we save our pennies, and out-of-pocket costing for genetic testing right now is around $250. Right, so if and you have to just validate it that Will insurance ask the questions like, what's the reason for this? Like if it was in the family or? Every insurance company has a different set of criteria. Yeah. And, and if you meet their criteria and you've met your deductible and you've done your, all the, all the mm -hmm. rules with the insurance companies, they, they do cover it and, mm -hmm. and they cover it well. Um, and then for patients that don't meet their criteria, most of the companies want it accessible to the patients. And so they do that $250 cash price for the, the patients who are uninsured, underinsured, or just not covered by insurance, but still would like to do testing. Okay. So just be aware you might have right. a large out-of-pocket so if it's if it's, it's a situation you, where you, you said know. I don't have any family history I just I just want to do it well insurance probably is not going to cover it in that situation yeah. okay mm -hmm. so what other genetic testing do we, so this what are the so is there more to test for? What other tests come up with genetics? So, so really, the more important thing to me after genetic testing is, well, what's the next step? Yeah. And so the genetic testing, it's really just one test, and it does the panel for the cancer genes. And, it, and we're looking at not just breast cancer genes, but colon cancer genes and pancreatic cancer and, and more than only looking at breast cancer. So all of that's done with one test. And you get back a yes or a no. A genetic mutation is a change in your DNA that you were born with that makes you not make the appropriate proteins. And it's usually in what we call a tumor suppressor gene. And so those are genes that are looking, the way I explain it to patients is our cells are constantly making copies of each other. And just like if you run something through a Xerox machine a thousand times, you're gonna get a bad copy. Mm -hmm. And the body should recognize those bad copies and stop it from dividing. And so a cancer cell is a bad copy that slipped through the body's defenses and is dividing on its own. And so the tumor suppressor genes are supposed to stop those bad copies. Well, if one of your tumor suppressor genes is broken, so to speak, or, or not functioning correctly, it's like having a hole in your fence, and it makes those cancers easier to form. Well, once you know you have a genetic mutation, well, we have lots of very specific recommendations and criteria for that. The more important step is if it's negative, you don't have a genetic mutation, your genes are functioning appropriately, 
we still have a risk of breast cancer. We're all born with a particular risk of breast cancer based off of different factors. And so following that up with some type of risk assessment, I think is very, very important and sometimes a misstep in all of this. Genetic testing is negative. Woo, I'm fine. I'll never get <laughs> breast cancer. No, yeah, <laughs> that's not it. Um, so those risk assessments, those lifetime risk assessments after genetic testing, I think is a really important next okay. step. And what is a risk assessment for people listening? What, what so, that like? just, so just like, like insurance companies, you go to buy life insurance and they ask you, do you skydive? Do you swim with sharks? Do you drive a red car? You know, I mean, all, all of those things, we have different things that factor in and the tire Cusick risk assessor is what I use most. It's well validated across the scientific communities. And so it puts in your estrogen exposure over your lifetime. So when a lady started her period, how old she was when she had her first child, how dense her breasts are, has she ever had any biopsies in the past or any of those atypical cells? What's the family history? all of this stuff gets put into the calculator and we enter it all in and we get a risk and we get a risk of what's her risk of breast cancer in the next five years and what's her risk of breast cancer in her lifetime if she lives to be 80, 85 or so um, is what they define as, as lifetime risk. And based off of those numbers, we determine as someone high risk. I don't really like the term high. I think it should be higher. Higher, yeah, I like <laughs> that. High risk is considered 20%. Well, Yes, it's higher than average, 12%, but you know, some, mm -hmm. some women with a BRCA1 mutation have an 80% risk of breast cancer. That's high risk. Mm -hmm. so, so just assessing that risk and knowing where, um, where we are and what options we have to either monitoring closely or lowering that risk. Right, and do you feel it's important to tell someone, don't jump the gun, don't worry, Absolutely. because a lot of time risk assessment, we hear risk, we see I tested positives on this, I, that's it, I'm getting it, I'm going to have it. My mother was that way. I te you tested it, you're going to get it. Exactly. No no doubt. So have fun there. Exactly. Um, and that's not true. It's just a number and it's just population. I mean, this is looking at, you know, women as a whole. For you, your risk is going to be 0%. You'll never get breast cancer or 100%. You will get breast cancer, you know? And, mm -hmm. and, and so for the individual, that individual conversation with your physician is so important to be able to put that risk number in context with your life and your lifestyle because some of our lifestyle choices are um, affect our risk of breast cancer. One of our least favorite ones is, you know, we recommend less than five alcoholic drinks per week. Ooh. And that's the, you know, actual, you know, pour of, of alcohol, the real not, pour. not what you yeah. really pour, you know? And so that's one of our least favorite, you know, recommendations, especially yeah. around the holidays. Uh -huh. but, um, but, but different lifestyle modifications can, can affect your risk as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so are you finding that, is it, is it relief? in most people that they're having to get this more information? Are they acting on it? What is, I think, what's the overall I do. effect of all this? I think this? relief, because like you say, you know, my mom had it, I'm absolutely gonna get it. And when you can sit down and show someone, well, you are at increased risk with this family history, with these factors, you are at increased risk, but that risk is 27%, which means, most likely you're not going to get breast cancer, but here are the things that you have control over. Here are the things that we can do to look closer for breast cancer, or here are the things we can do to modify your risk and actually lower that number. Okay. And do you think it's important also to remember that you are still an individual body. You're still an individual person. You may have had this and may point all these ways. It's just to kind of let you know, be alert. You may never have any of it because you're not tethered to uh, anyone in your family who's had it. You could 
exactly. very easily break the mold. Exactly, absolutely, no yeah. question about it. E even the BRCA1 mutation, which is our highest risk, it's not 100%, it's right. 80%. Mm -hmm. So it's just so. things to pay attention to, it's mm -hmm. good. And if someone is like really healthy, mind, body, soul, they're all good and they test positive, do you see them just going, okay, well I'm gonna take that, good to know, I'm gonna file it away, now what do I do? Um, lifestyle, what do I do? It's just me, I'm not gonna pay attention to that, I'm gonna be aware of it, what else can I do to live my best life and to override that? Sure, so some of the things we do is we change their screening protocol. We recommend on average a woman start annual mammograms at age 40 and do them yearly. After that, that's our, our recommendations as breast surgeons. Um, but we may add additional screening in for someone who's at increased risk. So we can add an MRI where they do a mammogram and six months later an MRI to where we're watching them a little bit closer um, instead of the one yearly mammogram. Uh, so that may be something that someone is, is more likely to do coming to the doctor quicker if you have a, a new finding you know we all put things off we're all busy it's hard to take time off it's hard to find someone to take care of the kids or take care of the parents or whoever <laughs> your dependents are in your life we all take care of a lot of people and and it's hard to take care of ourselves but if someone has that information and knows they may be a little quicker to pick up the phone and say i need to get this checked out i know i have this in my background let's let's get it checked let's not let it go a month or two before i go see somebody right because we talk about early detection mm -hmm. and how how important that is. Absolutely. So there are people out there who have studied all kinds of things and they've, with everything that's come up, pandemic, alternative medicines that were happening for a long time that we're kind of recognizing, people do holistic health, some people have just stopped mammograms altogether for whatever reason, it's important to them. What happens to, do, what happens to the body if someone gets breast cancer and they don't do anything about it? Because some of them, I've heard people say, I don't want to get tested because if something happens, I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to do, I'm not going to take the treatment. Sure. I just don't want to. So what sure. happens to your body if you get breast cancer and you don't do anything about it? Where does it go? What happens? So we know that breast cancer naturally is going to grow. We do have some defense in our body and, and our immune system does help some and, and those tumor suppressor genes help in the preventing it. But the natural history of cancer is it grows. Mm -hmm. And so typically breast cancer, it starts in the breast and then grows larger in the breast as it moves through the body, it moves through the lymph nodes, usually the lymph nodes under the arm, those are called the axillary lymph nodes. That's typically the next places it goes as it spreads through the lymphatic system. And then it can go elsewhere in the body. And the, the places in the body that breast cancer kind of likes, so to speak, I don't, that's not a great term, but, <laughs> but the, the common places for, for metastasis are bone. Bone's very common mm -hmm. with breast cancer. Mm -hmm. um, liver, lung, brain, those are probably the most common places we see breast cancer. It can go elsewhere, but, but those are probably the most common places we see it distant in the body and it just continues to grow until it gets in a, a, a life, you know, life necessary organ that ultimately you causes, you know, end of life. Yes. And so, um, and I've heard that my grandmother had breast cancer, but she died of cancer of the lung, not lung cancer, but right. you know, she metastatic so breast cancer yes, in the lung is the what lung. we would call that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it can spread mm -hmm. and yeah. lungs and are important. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We need those. We need those lungs. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. Okay. so what other things, what other treatments, what other things do you want to talk about? And so 
As far as screening, you know, knowing your family history, knowing when you should start screening and knowing your body and, and calling your doctor if, if something's different, I think that's very important. Once someone is diagnosed, knowing the type of breast cancer it is really drives treatment. And so we work as a team. I'm, I'm the surgeon. Uh, we usually have a medical oncologist, a radiation oncologist, sometimes a plastic surgeon, a, ra a radiologist that reads the films, a pathologist that reads the slides. It's, it's really a, a team approach because we want all of our our treatments to work in conjunction with each other and so we try and come at it from from multiple different directions and then following it up with surveillance after we've done the treatment and and continuing those things one of our our new exciting things we have in our office is a bioimpedance uh, test so women are at risk of lymphedema when they've had lymph nodes removed and so this is a new machine that they stand on it it's kind of like a scale, but <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't weigh them. <laughs> okay, good. There, it doesn't there weigh go. them. All right. Uh, but they have to have bare feet and bare hands, so they, they stand on the machine, and, and a, a current goes through, and it's measuring the resistance and the, and the extracellular fluid in the extremities, oh. and so we've entered into their, their profile, which extremity would be at risk and it can detect a slight increase in resistance which is one of our very first signs of uh, lymphedema while it's still reversible while we can still do something about it and before i can see it you know when the arm wow. gets swollen it's very obvious my my bracelets are tight my my watch is tight that will pick up one yeah. but this is really really the first step so really excited to be able to start screening our, our cancer patients after surgery we'll we do a, a baseline before surgery, and then we can follow them after surgery with, with this new device that's completely painless. They no, no pokes or prods or sticks or anything. Just, you have to take your shoes off. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> well, listen, most people strip down. I can remember it take me 20 minutes to jump on the scale. We do it right after the off. scale because yeah, of that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so let's talk about lymph nodes. We okay. hear a lot about that. What do they actually do in the body? What is lymphedema for people who don't know? What exactly is that when we talk about that? Sure. So your lymph nodes, you know, we, we all are pretty familiar with our blood system and yeah. we have arteries and veins that takes our blood through the body. Well, we have another whole highway system in our body called our lymphatics. And the, the lymphatics is the, it, it's other fluid in the body that, that travels through the body. And our lymph nodes are kind of like army bases of cells that are going to go out and fix an infection or an injury and and surgery is an injury cancer is an injury and and so those lymphatics help send the appropriate cells out to do whatever the body needs to fix whatever the problem is and so they're like our little army bases well that's where the cancer travels when it spreads with breast cancer so we remove some of those and when we remove some of those it disrupts that highway system for the flow of the fluid and so lymphedema is it it's going to be specific to the location where the lymph nodes were removed if you had lymph nodes removed under your left arm you're not going to get lymphedema in your right leg because that's not that flow is still intact so if they're removed from under your left arm, it's your left arm that we're worried about. And so lymphedema is where that fluid can't get back out of the arm, back to the central part of the body mm -hmm. to for flow. And so it's a it's a flow problem. And the more those vessels in the in the limb are, are dilated and, and, and lack of flow, they get fibrotic and they get hard and they, they don't work appropriately, and that's where you see that that extra swelling and, and that, that edema, that, that swelling in the, in the limb from. Mm. And how do you fix that? 
So once the fibrosis sets in, it, it's, it's difficult. Yeah. Uh, we have compression devices. We have compression pumps that patient can use. We have sleeves. We probably have seen people wearing the, you know, looks like a, a, a spandex type type mm -hmm. sleeve to help with compression. There's massage techniques. We have a wonderful set of physical therapists in town that, that do lymphatic drainage and, and lymphatic techniques. Uh, there's some plastic surgery uh, techniques that they do under the microscope that can help some, but but really catching it early and, and implementing those things early is our, our biggest goal there because once that fibrosis sets in, it's difficult to, to fix. So that's where that relief comes from when you have breast cancer and they test the lymph nodes. It did not go to the lymph exactly. nodes. That's why that relief. Exactly. Because it is just another process in your body not just relief that it didn't travel somewhere else, but that's a really important system. We forget about how it, fluid is important. Now the backup and excess in one place, that's what we worry about, but we need that. So that keeps the joints going, keeps the organs going. Absolutely. And we need fluid in our body. Absolutely. Yeah. So we talked about there being different types of breast cancer. Mm -hmm. What types of breast cancer are there? So there's three different receptors that we test on the breast cancer cell, and it's estrogen and progesterone, which are hormones, and HER2, which is another signaling protein. And when I talk about the receptors, I say it's kind of like a little antenna, and it's looking for its signal to tell the cell to grow, 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 our, our, our food is here. Uh, and so if we have those receptors, we have targeted therapy for each of those receptors. And so that's how we drive our adjuvant treatment, which is our treatment after, uh, as well as surgery uh, with medicines or chemotherapy or different things there to target those. So you have estrogen positive breast cancer, which is hormone positive breast cancer. Uh, that is the most common type that we see and that is typically treated with an oral medication, a pill, uh, which is great. Sometimes we add on chemotherapy, sometimes it's not necessary. HER2 positive treatment, we have some very targeted medicines that target that, that HER2 receptor and, and go right to it or its, its, little, its little friend HER3. They, <laughs> they block those, those two areas to really have targeted therapy. And then we have triple negative breast cancer and that's kind of like a bald cell. None of those receptors are there. So we don't have any of those targets. And so triple negative breast cancer tends to need chemotherapy, uh, traditional chemotherapy for treatment because we don't have those targeted therapies to mm -hmm. use okay well that really helps a lot it does because some very important. yeah it really is important to know that there are different types and breast cancer is just not one right yeah one fits all one size fits all in one generic way absolutely so, and and more ways gosh it's so fascinating more ways that you can pinpoint what the actual treatment is and once again reminder that we're each individual body yes and, yes and it's your own health your own knowing your own body yes so um, mastectomy so mm -hmm. if someone has a mastectomy mm -hmm. um, is it automatic now that it can you choose to have reconstruction surgery at the same time or later, or how does that work? Because it used to be just not at all. I can remember, and I can remember back in the day, um, my mother-in-law went in and she didn't know when she w woke up if she was going to have breasts or not. Oh, wow. It was way back where right. it was like, that's just the way it was. And you signed that knowing you might come back without. Right, and so, right. I, I personally hate surprises. And so <laughs> I tell my patients, I will not surprise you oh, ever. Lovely. <laughs> That's very nice. <laughs> and so now, you know, it's important if we're going to have to make a decision in the operating room, it's important to know going in what those options are. But breast cancer is not something, it's not like a, an artery is bleeding and you have to make a decision right, right now it's something we have time to talk about. So there's really no need if we've planned one thing to 
change completely change course in the middle of it and a woman wake up surprised and, and not have her breast. So we just don't do that anymore. Uh, but yes, it is it is a choice. And and with mastectomy, it's a it's a lot of decision making that's very individualized. How big is the cancer? How large are a woman's breasts? What is she wanting? What are the long-term things? Can she come to radiation if she needs radiation treatment? Does she live three hours away and travel is difficult? Lo lots of things go in. We have wonderful options for reconstruction now which are which are really great we probably do more implant reconstruction in Shreveport than than anything sometimes the implants go on top of the muscle sometimes they go under the muscle lots of different choices there mm -hmm. we have free flap capabilities which is a beautiful very natural feeling reconstruction where we do something like a tummy tuck mm -hmm. uh, and instead of throwing that fat away we take the vessels and I say we it is not me that does this <laughs> Right. <laughs> this is Dr. Marjorie Shelley and her team. Okay. Wow, you really it do it me. all. You're amazing. It you is do me. everything. <laughs> Dr. Shelley and her team do do this. And and they take the vessels that, that feed that area of fat and they bring them up to the chest and reimplant them under the microscope so that it's a, a living, breathing, you know, piece of piece of tissue that, that replaces the breast tissue. So, so lots of really great options. Um, most of the time we don't have issue with insurance. We have a few things that are in Congress right now that are causing a problem. United is not wanting to cover those flaps, which is really unfortunate for our patients because it's really nice for them to be able to have those options and choices and, and things like that. So, so we do get a lot, a little bit of the political and lobbying and things like that to make sure we protect our patients' choices. Yeah because I mean it's so obvious it seems like it would be obvious to be able to use your own tissue for something absolutely. in your body absolutely to be able a, to do that it, it, it's a great choice for the right patient sure sure again going back to the individual mm -hmm. choice and do you find that um, it's some patients it's hard for them to get away from stereotypical things of what people might think or what to like to really just settle down which is a good thing that it takes time it's not a rush um, to have this, you know, you really can think about it because a lot of things play into a woman's decision. It might be her idea. Same thing like with hysterectomy. They identify so much Absolutely. with the uterus and being able to give birth that it's really hard to do that. Same thing with any part of your body. Absolutely. Do you find that they struggle with that a lot of your patients? They do. It's, it's difficult. And, and lumpectomy followed by radiation yes. is a wonderful choice. We consider that completely equivalent to a mastectomy. And and so that's a that's a great choice and a great option. And, and really we, you know, would like to do that as much as we, we can. Um, and, and that's a wonderful choice. There, there's kind of just this natural, I, I have cancer, get rid of it, get rid of it, get rid of it, get rid of it. And, and it's nice to be able to sit down, talk about it and talk about, well, what are our real fears? What are our real worries about this? And, and let's look at it a little bit more, more scientifically. Let, it, it's hard to separate those emotions and, and to just, I, I want it gone and, yeah. and totally appropriate emotion, but, but to, to make that choice. So I, I, I do like for them to be able to take some, some time to think about it which is where some of that internet research helps come in because they've right. heard these words. They've, they've thought about some of it and, and they've had a few of those thoughts going in. Mm -hmm. And it's just nice to just talk it out. Like you said, to just mm -hmm. be able to come back and talk mm -hmm. about what if, what if. Mm -hmm. And I, when someone talk about lumpectomy sometimes, it's like, the, is there a fear of that disfigurement? Is it like in their Absolutely. mind, they don't know if you're taking something out? Absolutely. What I kind of chunk be? are you taking yeah. out of me? And yeah. what's that divot going to look yeah. like? <laughs> right. Absolutely. You get that too? Absolutely. And so, so I tell them we use something called oncoplastic techniques, which is really just a fancy word for we rearrange the tissue that is left in there to try and close that hole. And, and sometimes there is some, you know, depending on, 
on, on what we're doing, sometimes there is some disfigurement or some scarring or some, some changes after radiation. And, and those are expectations that we like to set and, and try and, and talk through that before we make mm -hmm. a decision. That's wonderful. Dr. Bartle, this has just been wonderful. Good. Thank you so Good. much. No problem. Is there anything we haven't covered today? I mean, there's a lot. I'd love to have you back. Oh, no. And talk oh, more great. about breast that'd be health. Great. And overall, I guess maybe we can tie this up with, since Doc talks a lot about overall whole health and, and your mental health Absolutely. and your, your overall well-being. What would Absolutely. you say to someone how this applies to their mental health overall? Well, you know, I mean, this is a huge source of stress. This is a huge source of anxiety for a lot of women. And so I think know your body, do your screenings as appropriate, know your family history, know what your risk number is so that you can know that right thing to be worried about. See your, see your doctor and then live that life that we're supposed to live. Exercise, move your body, eat appropriately most of the time. Now, nobody's going to be 100%. I think if we shoot for that 80% mark, hey, that's great. <laughs> I love that you asked yeah. most of the time. Most of the That's time. the best thing I've ever heard None at the of us end are of. Ever going to be perfect. Yeah. But, but we do that most of the time. The less than five alcoholic drinks a week as a, is where, what we quote for breast cancer and, and trying to keep a good healthy weight and, and being active. All of those things are so important for our mental health, our breast health, our, our just in general good health is yeah. very important. Wonderful, wonderful advice. Thank you so much. Sure. And I'm going to do that most of the time. You know <laughs> that's right. All right. <laughs> I mean, Thank Halloween you. is Monday. I know. That's true. That's true. What's your favorite Halloween candy? Do you have a uh, favorite? Snickers. Snickers. You have Snickers. Yeah, m &Ms. <laughs> So I get it. All right. Well, everyone, thank you so much for joining us. This has been absolutely wonderful. And you can download a new episode of these types of discussions every other Wednesday morning, wherever you listen to podcasts. And we will meet you right here next time on Doc Talk.